Hey, it's your host, Abigail Pumphrey, and I'm on a personal mission to help more small business owners become financially free. I like to nerd out on all things business, marketing, and most definitely the numbers. I'm talking all the lessons learned as I turned a layoff into a seven-figure online business. I like to share it all and no conversation is off the table. We talk actionable strategies, biz challenges, and all the things life throws your way. Grief, anxiety, loss, and resilience are all topics you'll find here. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in because you're listening to the Strategy Hour podcast brought to you by Boss Project. Have you ever absolutely panicked after you accidentally deleted a file on your computer? I know I have. It's not an issue if you've got Crash Plan Smart Recovery. Your files are just a few clicks away and can be restored in a snap. Crash Plan provides the best cloud backup solutions in the market. Visit CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. Now you can protect all your work with an unlimited backup and recovery solution. CrashPlan makes it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can be your ultimate rewind button. Get unlimited computer backup for you or your business with CrashPlan Professional. CrashPlan backs up files that live on your computer and works with PC, Mac, and Linux. Don't let data disasters slow you down. CrashPlan has your back and keeps you moving. Go to CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. Today on the show, we have experienced lawyer Autumn Whit Boyd, who helps ambitious and creative business owners such as yourself reach y'all big scary goals. She has the law office of Autumn Whit Boyd, where she guides online and e-commerce businesses as they grow. She has special expertise in copyright and trademark issues, and her firm offers full-service legal support to creative business. She also hosts the Legal Roadmap Podcast, which teaches business owners how to protect their rights and stay out of legal hot water. Today on the show, you'll hear more about the biggest legal mistakes creatives and online business owners are making, some special content related to copyrights and trademarks, dealing with copycats, and even our lowdown on Kim Kardashian. (laughs) And you get to hear me go on a tangent about stealing people's shit. So if you want to hear all that good stuff, give this one a listen. Welcome to the show, Autumn. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here with both of you. We are excited to chat. I think a lot of people kind of steer away from any legal type conversations because it gets overwhelming and it gets awkward and it gets Mm -hmm. like, at least personally for me, I won't Mm -hmm. speak for everyone, but it gets to remind us of all of those things that we agreed to that maybe we shouldn't have or pickles that we got ourselves in. I actually saw a thread in our group today of someone who was like, Hey, so how can I necessarily say that this isn't the scope of the project when I didn't technically have a contract with this client? And I'm like, Oh God. So this comes up a lot. And particularly, our booties in the creative industry is is a real thing. And it's a thing that a lot of people either like completely shy away from and they're just like, I don't care. I'm just going to ignore it and hope that I don't ever get sued. And then other people who are just like, nope, I'm not going to have any relationships with anyone because I don't want to get sued or like give away my firstborn. So let's bring some clarity to the stage today. And maybe you can like help us highlight some things that we can be on the lookout for and how to protect ourselves in, in all of the thousands of ways that everything could go wrong every day. 
Yeah, well, I'll just start with here is my basic legal philosophy. So I'm a lawyer. It is my job to think of all the worst scenarios, but that's a terrible way to go through life for a business owner. So you should not necessarily be thinking about that all the time. But the reality is, you know, whether you're ignoring legal or not, it's out there. There are laws and there are rules and regulations that probably apply to you. So burying your head in the sand is not helpful. So a little bit of education goes a long way. And this is just part of being a business owner. You know, I think we all got into this because we wanted freedom and flexibility and all of the fun things that we see on social media, sexy, glamorous part of it. And legal is not part of that. It's so important if you want to have a profitable business that you can actually sustain, which I think is also what most of us want. We didn't get into this so that we could have to go back to our day job a year later. So this is just, it's, I don't want to say a necessary evil, but it is a necessary part of the business to know some of this stuff. I think in general, you know, when I think about the biggest legal mistakes that creatives make or the the number one thing that you can do to protect yourself really is contracts. I mean, that is, especially if you're a service provider, that is going to be your number one protection because that is how you're making your money in the beginning. And if you're a course creator, if you're selling digital products, which I know a lot of people do either first or after they've got a great service business going on. That's what you guys did. You move into that arena. Your terms of service is basically your contract with your users. And so that is super duper important. Yeah, y'all, we did not even like know that we should have a good beefed up terms of service for like over a year into business selling digital products. Like someone was like, if you're collecting email addresses on your website, it needs to say on there that like how you're going to use that data and what you're doing. And I was like, oh, cool. All right. Good to know. Yeah, that's your privacy policy and that's required by law. So a lot of this, like a lot of contracts, it's just your agreement with the other person. And there's not a lot of laws or regulations that apply, but your privacy policy on your website is one area that is actually required by law. Super, super important. I feel like every time we have a lawyer on the show, Emily and I leave and are like, we suck at this. And like, we have 45 million things to do. And then like life happens and things get away from us. And then something will creep back up. And just recently, we we've needed a lawyer multiple times. And like, everything's fine. But it's just like, it can come at you when you least expect it. So talk to us about some of the things, I mean, terms of service being one of them, having a contract with your clients is obviously huge. But what are some things that people are just oblivious to that they need to be paying attention to? Yeah. Well, first of all, I will say this is another one of my like big, I get on my soapbox. I don't think a new business owner should run out and spend thousands and thousands of dollars hiring a lawyer when they're just starting out. Because you're just not even sure what your offering is going to be. You're not sure who you're going to be working with, how you're really going to run your business. So it's very easy to spend a lot of money early on and just waste that money because you're going to change things. And you may in six months realize you hate doing one-on-one services and do something totally different. So yeah, so I think that you can DIY a lot of legal in the beginning. Now, once you get to like the point in business where you guys are, where there's more money at stake, you've got a partnership, things have changed, you know, then it's time to lawyer up and it's time to have a lawyer that you can consult with when you have questions that come up and, you know, make sure that you've got the right protections in place. Is there such thing as <laughs> like, can you give me the a checklist, a roadmap of something? Like I was telling you before we hit record that there was a recently a contract that we were looking at and our lawyer was looking at and she basically like picked that whole thing apart and was just like, uh, this is wrong. This is basically what you're agreeing to. If you sign this, this needs to change. And I just told Abby, I'm like, 
I would have just signed that. Like I would have just been like, they have good intentions. Like they don't want to do bad harm. And I get like, I still truly believe that, but like, I would have just been like, sure, sure. That sounds good. So is there anything that you can give us to where like at first glance of just like looking at a contract that's intimidating and hard to read and hard to understand? What are some things that we can be looking for that could be potential red flags? Yeah, absolutely. So I will say if you're getting dealing with a more complex contract, that is time to have a lawyer come in because there will be things that are just written in legalese that you will not understand. And I, you know, looking at a 25 page contract makes anybody want to go to sleep, including a lawyer. But so with a general, you know, in your general services type contract or thinking about maybe a book publishing deal or a collaboration of some sort. So the really important things to look at are what is each person going to be doing? So are there services that are going back and forth? Are there products that are going back and forth? What is everybody doing? What are the pricing terms? And hopefully all of this should be written in enough plain English that everybody can understand it. And if it's not, you have the right... I mean. I think most people don't realize that all contracts are open in negotiation pretty much unless it's one of those with the click box where <laughs> you don't have a choice. Yeah. If you don't understand what it means, you can ask or you can say like, can we explain this or can we write this in a way that that I can understand it better? Because at the end of the day, if God forbid you did af- ever have to sue someone, you want to be able to take it to a judge and explain, you know, this is what we both understood it meant. And if you don't understand what it means, that's a real problem. Um, so price is really important. If there, again, with the services, if there are deliverables that you're providing, just having that all outlined, if there's a schedule, making sure that you understand the schedule and that it works for you. And if it doesn't, you should be marking it out and you should be talking about it and changing it. Something a lot of people don't look at because it's usually at the end of the contract is what's called the termination provision. So that is going to be how you get out of the contract if you need to, if something goes Mm -hmm. wrong. Is it easy for you to get out or is it really hard for you to get out? There's different scenarios where you might want one or one or those things. And then the intellectual property provisions. With creative businesses, our intellectual property is our most important asset. I mean, none of us own a building and a bunch of land and equipment unless we're making things. But if you're running an online business, your copyrights and trademarks are pretty much how you're making your money. So making sure that that's outlined really clearly who owns what, especially if the collaboration or something like a book deal where your content is changing hands, making sure you know what you can do with it afterwards or if you can't do things with it afterwards. I've worked on book deals where you know the client knew from the beginning that they wanted to do a course related to the same topic as the book, but the book deal was written so they couldn't do that. So... That's that's an area where just having in mind what you might want to do. Some of it is a little bit of fortune telling, but making sure that you're carving out things if you know you want to do them. Or and a lot of times the book publisher doesn't even really want that right. <laughs> like they're not going to create an e course. Yes, so it's it's usually not a big deal. Just making sure everybody's on the same page with that. So talk to me a little bit about those copyrights and trademarks because I feel like at some points I'm like meh do I really need to own it? Or like, is it really that important? Or should I go through the process of filing things with the copy and trademark office? Yeah, because then the next day, we're like, trademark everything we've ever said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so just brief overview, copyrights are going to protect creative content in your business. So think about like an online course, your blog content, images, music, any of that kind of stuff is going to be protected by copyright law. And in the US, and I should have said, I'm a lawyer, I'm licensed in Tennessee, none of this is legal advice, it's just information. But under US law, you have automatic copyrights from the moment that you take something out of your head and put it on paper or put it in a computer file. But the problem 
under our laws is that you can't file a lawsuit until it's registered. And none of us are probably ever going to file a lawsuit. But if you're sending a cease and desist letter to someone because you found that they copied your stuff and they know it's not registered, they know you you can't do anything. You're just basically sending them empty words. So I always like to think about what kind of leverage do you want to have if you do get into one of those situations? Because life is a negotiation. So if you find someone has copied your course and put it up under their own name, you know how do you want to be able to make them take that down because they're stealing your revenue? Or if they've copied your most popular blog post and all of a sudden you, know, you were making money off of that and now you're not. So that is where copyright registration really, really becomes critical. So I, and with trademarks too, trademarks protect different things. They're going to protect your brand. So like your business name or a logo or a slogan, your most popular course names would be a great example of something that you might want to register as a trademark. And under trademark law, you have some automatic protections also. But if you have a registered trademark, people are going to take you more seriously. It's the same scenario. If you have to send a cease and desist letter and they see that it's registered, they're going to be more likely to do what you're asking. So I always say, like, think about is... Is this something in your business that's making you money? You know, it's not just something that's fun to say, like for your trademark, you could register the trademark to anything. But is it something that's making money? Is it something you're going to stick with? Because the trademark registration process, I don't know if you guys have been through it yet. It takes almost a year, best case scenario. It's fairly expensive. So it's an investment in your business. And so you want to make sure that that investment is something you're going to get a return on. So I say the same thing with copyrights. Like you can't register the copyrights in everything. But think about if there are, you know, revenue generating things in your business, like your most popular course or your most popular blog post, that could be worth worth that investment of time and energy. Okay. So then I guess segue straight into copycats of, okay, but people who like, okay, we've said those phrases and now you're using them in your business. I can't stop you from saying that sentence, but like, girl, that's skeevy. Or like you've like laid out your entire photos on your website exactly how we have or whatever it may be. Like, what do you do? You just like suck it up and move on. It just depends on how much mental and mental energy you want to spend on it. And it's the same question, like gut check. Is this hurting your revenue? Like, are they stealing your customers? Are people confused when they go to their website? Do they think it's yours? Or is it just it, you know, it looks like yours? They're using similar language. I mean, I, I've been on other lawyers' websites that have very similar language to mine. And you do get that feeling in the pit of your stomach where you're like, I know you ripped me off. But for most of it, I mean, unless it's what we call a verbatim copy, where it's an exact, like they literally lifted the text from your website, it's very hard to actually sue and win on any of that. And again, not that you're ever gonna sue, but a good standard to have in the back of your mind. Usually, it, you know, if they're just copying your style or, you know, like you said, using some of the phrases you use, it's really hard to go after. So you can, I, I don't, I don't think it's a bad idea to reach out and just say like, Hey, I noticed your website looks a lot like mine. And just like, let them know you have seen them. You, and, and you can even say like, I'm going to be monitoring your activity. And, you know, right now I think it's okay, but if it gets any closer, you know, we reserve the right to take further action. And sometimes that's enough. Like people think they can get away with it if nobody sees right. it. We've only really like gone out of our way and said something twice. Like where someone like directly used our blog post graphic to promote their own blog post, and we like we like put the hammer down. That was our first ever thing. I was like, send a season desist. Like that's so rude. I was livid, and she like pulled it down. Was it your actual image? Yeah, yeah, our actual image. And I was like, get that out of here. And so she did. And it was fine. That was like a year or so ago. And then there was like a more recent thing, but it was something where it just like, it was 
some things were verbatim, but not enough for it to be like yeah. you ripped off the entire thing. You just ripped off the concept and like, like pretty much use the, the exact same thing. And so we knew we couldn't do anything about it, but we were just like, sent an email that was like, we see what you did. And that was rude. And that was shady. And like, we're removing you from our group and our email list and our Instagram and like, be gone with your bad self. And karma will come back. (laughs) And karma will come back to you. So I'm just like, I'm done spending energy on it. But I want you to know that I know. And that like, that was kind of shitty. Yeah. Well, and the one, it's not really a problem. It's good. Copyright law does not protect ideas. So you can have the most amazing idea for a course that's going to teach this, these six topics and somebody else can go out and create the same course as long as they're doing it in their own words with their own videos and content. You know, (laughs) people come to me all the time. They're like, I need to protect this idea. So no one else has it first. And I'm like, ideas are a dime a dozen. You've just got to do the best job. (laughs) Yep. That's not how that works. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, it just feels gross though. So talk to us about those <laughs> cease and desist letters. Like I've sent a couple, mostly because Emily was too livid to be nice when sending those emails. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, is there certain things that we sh- should be saying and or certain things we should avoid saying because we're lying or like it's against the rules or anything? Oh my gosh. We'll never lie. Okay. I <laughs> well, but like, I don't know, like, I could tell you, like, you have to take it down. But like, you can there's a difference between lying and like what we call puffery, <laughs> like just kind of puff it, puffing out your chest. <laughs> so here's, here's the number one thing is before you send anything is to record your evidence. So if you had to go in front of a judge, what would you want to show him or her to prove that this did happen? So take a screenshot or save the email or whatever. Because once you got yeah, I have a whole folder. Abby doesn't even know. I have a whole folder of shitty copycats and it's, it's right there living on my desktop. That's hysterical. Yeah, because once you do reach out, then it's very likely to disappear. I mean, that's what you want it to happen. You want it. You want them to take it down. But let's say then six months later, they put it back up. You want to be able to prove, oh, well, they also did it this other time. So go ahead and capture your evidence. And then... I like to think of it as kind of you're escalating slowly. It's like a pot of boiling water. So you might reach out the first time and say, hey, I noticed this thing. I think this infringes my copyrights or my trademarks. Please take it down or please change your name or whatever. Be very friendly. Kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. You might include a deadline in there like, please, you know, I'll expect a response within seven days or something. And you can say in there like, or I will be turning this over to my attorney, even if you don't have one. That sometimes will like get people motivated, but... That might be a little puffery there. We have one now. It's fine. We're good. Exactly. Exactly. And so then your next step would be, you know, if they respond, they say, no, I'm not going to, or they just don't respond at all. Then you might respond again, you know, a little less nicely, a little bit more serious. And then <laughs> next step might be... I just set- to rage. <laughs> yeah. And the more calm and collected you can be is better because again... Think about if you do end up in a lawsuit, this is going to go in front of the judge and you don't want to do something that's going to be embarrassing. He's going to be like, that was some strong language. <laughs> the judge is going to be like, damn, girl. <laughs> yeah. So then you might send a letter on like your letterhead, a paper letter, maybe certified mail that sometimes will get people's attention. And then at that point, if you're still not getting any getting anywhere and it is something that's affecting your revenue or that you're worried your customers might be confused, you know, they've got maybe a domain that's really close to yours or they're sending out copycat things to your 
customers, then you might escalate it to an attorney. But you've got to figure out, you know, what's worth the investment of spending that time and money on an attorney to get involved. Well, talk to me about, I see this, I feel like, like on the weekly where someone will bring up an instance like this, like in a Facebook group or whatever. And there will be the people who are like, contact an attorney, do a cease and desist. What are your like, do you do have a copyright and like trying to hash it out. And then there will always be the person that says, imitation is the highest form of flattery. And I want to fucking stab that person. Because I think it's offensive and I think it's rude and I think it belittles like the work that we put out into the world and on the internets. And so like, I just want your opinion on that. So I am what you might call a copyright evangelist. <laughs> so I, I am on the side of content creators pretty much always. But at the same time, there are no new ideas. We're all, you know, building on the backs of other people. So I think it's impossible to avoid, you know, using some ideas or things that are just out in the universe. But no, I don't think imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I hate that saying so much. I'm like, that is such a cop out. Yeah. And we do have a concept in copyright that you've probably heard of called fair use, which basically gives you permission to kind of build on other people's ideas as long as you're changing them enough that you're creating something new. And that's a really gray area of the law. So how much change do you have to do? There's no like magic percentage. If you change 20%, you're fine. There's no magic percentage. It's like this balancing tests where they look at all these different things. So it's very, I, I don't recommend that people rely on that if they're, you know, using something in their business. They're like, oh, it's fair use. It's fine. It can be really risky. So be forewarned. <laughs> if, if you're thinking of like selling a product based on fair use, definitely consult with an attorney to make sure you're on the right side of things. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Want to learn exactly step-by-step step how to get paid to generate leads in your business? I've kept these details to myself for far too long. I'm ready to spill everything and give you the exact steps that help me generate tens of thousands of qualified leads and millions in low-ticket digital product sales. I won't just show you what I did, but teach you how you can do it too. I'm talking not just how to create low-ticket digital products, but also showing you how to use them strategically to generate leads for your other existing or future offers. I'm sharing it all at bossproject.com slash jumpstart, including exactly how I made $8,033 and generated 277 leads my very first month selling digital products. Find out more at bossproject.com slash jumpstart. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I love that Indeed makes it easy to hire because I'm busy enough already. When we've hired in the past, the process was full of unqualified applicants. With Indeed, we can target the right candidates for the right position. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Just go to Indeed.com slash strategy hour right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Money issues are a common stressor in any relationship. Monarch Money is the top-rated personal finance app that can get you and your partner on the same page without any extra cost. Monarch has built-in collaboration features, so together you can see your finances, budget, and get insights on your cash flow. It's the easiest way to manage any household finances. I've tried other finance apps in the past, and they didn't work the way I wanted them to. I don't want to stress over finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to get Get set up, customize, and use. Monarch prioritizes my privacy, and they'll never sell my data to third parties. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash strategy for your extended 30-day free trial. No, I just think obviously on the side of content creators always and forever. And I just think like, even if you can't win the suit, and I'm not saying like, go soup, I never, ever, ever want to do that. I at least think we should be asking ourselves, like, do I have protection? Like, did that person do something wrong? Can I like, get them off of my list or do whatever, instead of just being like, move on, don't spend your energy there. Like, there's a different, there's like, a, there are two ways to handle that. And so like, I want you to respect the work that you put out into the world enough to like, take it seriously. I'm not saying you have to stress about it. You don't have to get as bent out of shape as I do all the time about it. That's fine. But like, God. Okay, so I want to talk about internet terms of service that we have no control over. So specifically, and this is another soapbox tangent, I'm going to try really hard not to get down on. But we'll see. There's a new social media uh, platform out and it's making the waves and it like was an overnight success, even though it's been around for a little bit. And, and it's, it, it, you take, you know, rinse and repeat it with any other platform that you want. It's all the same. But whenever we sign up for a platform, there are terms of service. And whenever you're putting in your email or your phone number or whatever it may be, a username, you're agreeing to terms of service to have that account. And there will, like, I feel like it comes in waves of people who are like, turn off the microphone access on your phone so Facebook can't hear your thoughts because that's illegal and like all this bullshit. And so people will like go through. <laughs> I love when Facebook listens to me when they serve me at like I would deliberately say into my phone like yoga pants that are gray <laughs> just so I started getting like ads I'm like please market to me I'm ready to buy it <laughs> so but people get super bit out of shape about it and so I guess what I'm asking is are there particular things in terms of service that you as a lawyer are like oh that's a red flag I would not ever join something if it said this or like, if we're just agreeing to basically give away all of our stuff anyways, like on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, and you just kind of have to like, hope that Twitter doesn't want to steal all your ideas. I mean, I, the big one, and I think if it when there have been instances where like, I think it was Instagram changed their terms of service. And then like, there was a big brouhaha. The thing that I'm always worried about, because I am a copyright evangelist is who owns the copyright to my stuff if I post it on a service. 
all the ones that I've seen have said, like you retain ownership of your own copyrights, but you are going to give them some limited rights to use it either, you know, in a commercial to promote their service or whatever. But generally, you're none of the ones that I've seen, at least, and I haven't looked at this new one that just came out. Generally, you're not ever giving other people on the service the right to use your stuff either. And there have been copyright cases about that where people have argued like, oh, well, it was posted on Twitter and under the Twitter terms of service, like I can use whatever. And that's not true. Like you as a user are giving Twitter or Instagram a little bit of permission to use your stuff, but you're never giving it to other users of the service. So, and that's a really common, while you're looking that up, I'll just, I'll get on my soapbox. There's a common misconception that if it's on social media, you can repost it or you can reuse it or you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah. And it's not true The the normal copyright rules apply. So under US copyright law, and this is generally the same in other countries, if you, you know, ha- have your finger on the shutter of a camera and you create an image, you own it. And that doesn't change just because you put it on social media. So we've kind of developed this culture where there's a lot of sharing and reposting. And generally, people are happy about it because it spreads their word or, you know, heightens their brand. And, you know, as long as you're sharing with credit, people generally like it. But it is still technically infringement. It's if you're using it and you don't have someone's permission, that is copyright infringement. So I think we could see the tide turn at some point. We haven't yet. I'm surprised there haven't been more lawsuits about this. But people people seem to not care, which, you know, as long as everybody's live and let live, that's fine. But just know that at some point the tide could change. And just because no one's exercising these rights doesn't mean they don't have them. Well, I want to know more about in regards to kind of like everybody can share everything. Like recently I saw a post by a famous typesetter he like designs fonts and he had created this font and it was picked up and used by a large brand joy she's the one that got famous on was it hsn or i don't know one of those talk show sell on the tv people there was a movie made about her well when her brand got revamped she like the company whoever did her logo like swiped his font and never paid like commercial licenses for it and he's livid about it and he's been posting everywhere about it and i mean it's like it's getting picked up and stuff so i'm curious if something will end up coming down but he took them to court and they ended up dismissing it and he's like but it's like a legitimate claim and so he is so frustrated and so i guess i'm just giving everyone a virtual pat on the back that sometimes even when things are like legitimately swiped sometimes the only thing you can do is like go to the masses and if you can get enough people upset about it that might be the only way it gets changed or that they pay oh my god so sad Yeah. Well, there are a lot of technicalities in copyright law. So you can have a scenario where someone steals your stuff, but if you didn't check all the boxes the right way when you were registering it, you could get it thrown out. And I don't know about that case specifically, but I mean, there are copyrights in fonts. It's, It's what we call a weak copyright protection because, you know, it's letters. But if it is really distinctive and when you see it, you would recognize it. I mean, there is some protection in that. Yeah, I think it was something like he took it 
to an upper court and they dismissed it and said, you need to go to state court or something along those lines. And then he was like out of money to continue pursuing it. Yeah. It's very, very expensive. So that's the downside to all of these. Like when you're registering your copyrights Mm -hmm. or you're registering your trademarks, you're pretty much buying the right to file a lawsuit and spend a lot of money. Which is so interesting to me because I'm curious and you might know more about this is why is it that in this industry or this arena that like paying up front to like retain a lawyer is a thing as opposed to like accident and injury cases where you you can retain a lawyer on the assumption that you're essentially going to win and like you pay nothing unless you win why why has that become like essentially accepted as normal. Yeah, I can tell you because I used to work for a law firm that did copyright infringement cases on a contingency, which is what you're talking about, where the client doesn't pay anything unless there's a recovery and then they split basically split the recovery with the lawyer. The reason mm-hmm. why um, in an accident case, you see that more often is because there's a really high probability that the person is going to get some money out of it. Usually there's insurance coverage for the person who caused the accident. And those law firms are doing some screening to make sure that they're only taking cases where there's a high probability that they'll get paid. And it's basically an economic, you know, you do the math, you figure out, is this likely to succeed or not? And with copyright and trademark infringement, kind of any, the ball is in the air, like who knows who's going to win? There are so many variables. And so it's just really hard to evaluate and say like, yes, this looks like a sure bet. I will definitely take this on a contingency. Well, is it hard too? Because like, like you have to find that stuff on the internet. Like if someone's like, well, I was using it before you. And then like, then you have to go on this hunt of like, literally like the internet <laughs> and it's hard. Right? Yeah. Well, and with the firm I used to work with, which is called Harmon and Seidman, we represented a lot of photographers. We pretty much only took cases where the exact photo had been copied, like just kind of taking out all of the scenarios where we might lose basically. And we still, you know, didn't win on all of our clients. Like there would still be problems with the registrations or problems where they didn't get the right contract assigned from the photographer. And they're just, there's a lot of bumps along the road with intellectual property cases. I think that's why more lawyers don't do them on contingency. And it's, I mean, I can't tell you how many hundreds of hours it takes to get a case from start to finish. So it's a huge investment and then costs, you know, hiring court reporters and experts and it's expensive. So I understand it's it's really expensive and difficult to pursue these claims. There has been talk in the copyright community with trying to get Congress to put in a small claims court where you wouldn't have to go to federal court and spend $10,000 just to basically walk in the door where you could bring these small claims. Because most copyright claims, honestly, you're going to recover maybe $1,500 or $3,000. So it doesn't make sense to then spend $10,000 so get three. No one, no one will do that. And so that's why you see so few of these cases getting filed. So there is talks about that. It's frankly not a priority in Congress. So I, I don't know if it'll ever happen. <laughs> Maybe someday. But I think that would be a great idea because we have small claims courts for other things, but not for copyright and trademark. Right, right. Well, and I think like it just makes it super frustrating uh, on both ends of that, of being the person who has stuff that people have copied and being the person who's like, you're asking me to change this when I know that I, I like don't have to change this <laughs> kind of thing. And it's just like, it's always feels like a dead end straight every time. Yeah. And like when I, I do sometimes have clients on the other end of things who use something they shouldn't have, and then we're trying to get it resolved. And I will say to them, like, you know, here's what it's going to cost them to sue you. They're probably not going to sue you. But there are crazy people out there like you never know. <laughs> so there's always that possibility. Right, right. 
They don't yes. the people who steal McDonald's yeah. for the coffee being too hot. Like, you, come on. <laughs> so that's why you can never count on anybody can sue anybody for exactly. anything. Exactly, Lanta. Let's all just not sue anybody. All right. Let's just. No one well, wants to do I, that. Just because that the coffee story made me think of all these ridiculous court cases. I have to know. Like, are there ridiculous? like historical court cases in the copyright space that are worth sharing? Or is it just totally lame and boring out there? I mean, it's mostly lame and boring. But no, there are some interesting ones like about, I mean, the famous songs and famous photographs and movies. What was the one, the Robin Thicke song? That one is still the, it's, yeah, it's still going They're They've appealed. So that one, the, the family, I think it was Marvin Gaye family. They won in the trial court and then it's been appealed. So We'll see. And that was one where it wasn't an exact copy, but they said it was kind of the feel of the song. Like if you listen to it, they sounded a lot alike. So it's another gray area. That's so hard. I can't imagine like being on a jury for something like that. Like, no. Do they have juries for stuff like that? I feel like what it should be is like a jury. They like got out a keyboard (laughs) and played for the jury. Yeah. Okay, here's exactly what I want. I want a jury of grandmas, and then I want them to play the tune because grandmas like they don't know like the hip new songs. They're just like it all sounds the same to me. It all sounds like garbage. And And so if a grandma can tell like the difference, then you're good. Don't take my idea. That's a good idea. Don't take. Oh, so oh, are you just (laughs) was there anything ever with the like? I remember when Paris Hilton tried to trademark her phrase. That's hot. Like, was that, are people trademarking things that they're saying? And yeah, and like Taylor Swift recently (sighs) trademarked a bunch of her song lyrics because she's putting them on t-shirts and selling them. Yeah. And it's basically to keep other people from doing it. Well, yeah, because I know like Girl Boss ended up trademarking Girl Boss and that is like ripped off 45 bajillion times. It's a hashtag. Oh, people trademarking hashtags. Can you do that? So it depends on how you're using it. So a hashtag is generally like used for a search tool or it's for a category. You can only trademark or you can only register trademarks for things that you're using to identify your brand. So like if your brand is hashtag girl boss, then sure. Like if you're selling products that have that on it, or that's what you call something that you're offering, or you put that in the labels of your clothing, then yeah, but if you're if you're using it the way a lot of us use it, you know, hashtag boss mom, hashtag I, you know, yeah, oh easily, I am being boss. Like <laughs> those are not so the trademark office, and I didn't mention this before, but the trademark office has attorneys that review every trademark application, and they're basically looking for a reason to deny it. So one thing they always look at is when you you have to submit evidence of how you're using your trademark with whatever you're selling. And so they'll look at that. And that that is a really common reason they reject trademark applications. They say, you're not really using this as a trademark. Maybe you say it a lot, but you're not using it to sell anything. So like Paris, you know, saying that's hot. If she's not selling anything with it, you can't register that as a trademark. I want to go into talk strategy to me. So let's go back to the beginning a little bit and remind people of some of those mistakes and what are three to five things they need to be setting up like on the soonish side of starting a business, not necessarily like 
day one, but what are some things they need to be paying attention to and getting set up to protect themselves? Yeah. So number one, I always say, we talked about this already, but it's contracts. And whether that is just you putting it in a Word document in language that you can understand, I always say like, beware of borrowing Beware of borrowing someone else's contract because you might not really understand what it says and it might look good, but it might have things that actually you don't want in there. So I would prefer like simple, straightforward, plain English, but get it in writing. Get your clients or collaborators or whoever is on the other side of your agreements to sign it saying that you're all... And it will also force you to have some hard conversations early on, which is a good thing. Well, So you can write your contract yourself. Like it doesn't have to be written jargon like write it out put the like deadline you're gonna do exactly what it's gonna cost don't have to use fancy words yes absolutely i would much rather that than you go download some terrible template from somewhere i mean i have templates too they're wonderful but not all templates are created equal so contracts is the number one number two would be choosing a great name for your business we didn't get into this a lot but there is kind of a spectrum of trademarks and how protectable they are So on one end, you have things that are like these words that aren't really words that are made up words. These are called fanciful or arbitrary. Those are really strong and really protectable. At the other end of the spectrum are things that just describe the thing you're doing. So like... Ours is (laughs) non-protectable. Actually, that's not bad. No, what would be terrible is like the website shop. You know, like it it is what you do. Like... Chattanooga Pizza Company. Like it is exactly the thing. So try and be closer to, and then in the middle, of course, there's a bunch. Like I, I'd say yours is a little bit more in the middle where like you're not, that doesn't say what you do. It doesn't say like social media strategy and, you know, online business, you know, marketing, all these things. So try and stay, yeah, closer to that arbitrary and fanciful side. And then a lot of people don't, you might do a domain search, but a lot of people never search the USPTO database. Or like do just a Google search to see if anybody else is using that name already. In the US, we talk a lot about trademark registrations, but your trademark rights are actually based on whoever is first to use it with a particular product or service. So even if it's not registered, if somebody's already using it and they're doing something similar to you, you want to stay away. So question, if someone's using... Because I see this pop up a lot where someone will search and they'll search like social media handles for that name, for instance, and someone already has it. But either like they've never posted or they don't have a website, they're not selling anything. Can they still then use that name for their business because the other person is not using that name for a business? Yeah, but be forewarned just because it's not on the internet doesn't mean they're maybe not using it locally or, you know. Got it. Yeah. Like check for yeah, sure. But I'd say, okay, if, okay. But if someone's just like calling their like. Right. If they just thought whatever. it was a cute phrase yeah. and so they've got a social media handle. Yeah. I definitely go, you know, beyond the domains and just social media handles to a deep Google search. And then also, I always recommend checking the Secretary of State in your state so that if you did want to form a company down the road, you can make sure that that name is available. Or you can just hope that your mom gives you a really hard name to spell and you can just use your own name. Yeah. And then nobody else. I have I have what I would call kind of a dumb name that's also hard to spell. So, <laughs> But it's helpful because not a lot of people... <laughs> Someone asked me for my uh, website domain and I use my initials. It's AWB firm. And I was like, because nobody can spell Autumn. I wasn't going to use that in my URL. <laughs> you, should, you should see me at Starbucks. <laughs> it's like ridiculous. So choosing the right name, choosing a strong name and doing a trademark search. I, I will say like if you're early in your business, a trademark registration is probably not something to worry about until you're a little bit more established. You're sure that you love your name, that it resonates with your customers, that you're going to stick with it for a while. And then the third thing is um, there are required website documents. So we talked about the privacy policy. 
Um, not required, but a good idea are terms and conditions. This is like your rules for people who visit your website. So your website's kind of like your storefront. It's like you'd have rules for people who come in your store. And then there are some disclosures that are required if like you're having a contest or if you take, if you blog and you're taking free stuff or you're doing giveaways. That's something to look into if you're doing any of those things. If you're giving health or legal or tax or financial information, there's some disclaimers you might want to use. Those just protect you from someone relying on your information and then something goes wrong and they try to sue you. I mean, they could still sue you, but yes, but it's still, it just helps. All of this is just... It's just, it's just the, the game of life is to, to leave without getting sued. That's all that we're trying to get here. All right. Although I have to tell you, like, if you're in business long enough and you get big enough, you're probably going to get sued. <sighs> it is just part of, part of the game. You can try to avoid it. You can do all the things, but there are crazy people out there. So it's, it's part of growing your business. The, and the last thing to think about, which we mentioned was terms of use. If you're selling digital products or you're doing a course, again, that's like your contract with your users. So you're going to talk about things like you can't give out your username to other people. You can't rip off our content, all those kinds of things. If you have rules about how they, be- how people behave in your forums or in your groups, all that stuff. The fourth thing I would think, and you'll notice this is kind of far down after you've done all these other things is think about a corporate entity. So an LLC or a corporation. Usually with online businesses, especially, we are at a very low risk of getting sued. So that's what your corporate entity is going to protect you from. Or, you know, like you don't have people walking into your store that could fall. Exactly. Like, yeah. And the two times I always say reevaluate this is, well, first of all, if you're making enough money that you're worried, that's a good time to think about it. And then if you have, if you add employees or if you have a lot of contractors, again, you just have more relationships where something could go wrong and you could be sued. Or if you do open a physical location, like if you have an office or an, you know, an area where people are coming to see you and they could fall, yeah, slip and fall and break their leg and sue you. Or if you're, if you, if you open a skydiving company, (laughs) if you are doing something that's really risky, then maybe we do that earlier. Yeah. Please protect yourself. (laughs) But for our online creative businesses, you know, graphic designer is, yeah, you're probably fine. Don't, don't infringe other people's copyrights. Yeah. And then the fifth one is make sure you're using other people's content the right way. And we, we touched on this earlier. Just, I've had a lot of people lately come to me that found images on a Google search that looked like they were royalty free, that they were fine to use and they weren't. And there's kind of some scammers mm-hmm. out there right now. So, and it is expensive, even, even if you just resolve those without being sued, it can still cost you thousands of dollars if you have one image. And I didn't mention this before, but if you get sued for copyright infringement and the image was registered or whatever it was, was registered before you copied it, that's $150,000 potential damages per work. So like if you use five photos, that's five times $150,000. So that's a lot of money. That'll shut your business down. Like that's and many, many, many attorney's fees also. So those are my top five. I know I always say like the best bet is just create your own stuff. Just don't use other people's stuff or ask permission. Yeah. And especially on social media, like you'll make friends. Just ask people, do you mind if I repost this? They love it. It's a, it's flattery. Awesome. <laughs> that is the flattery where you're not imitating them. You're crediting them. There's a difference. Exactly. You are saying, thank you. (laughs) I asked you permission. You said yes. I love that. Well, that was super handy and super helpful. Thank you so much. How about you let everyone know where they can hang out with you more online? Yeah. So I am on Facebook at Autumn Whit Boyd. I'm on Instagram. I think it's Autumn W. Boyd. And then my website is the best one. It's awbfirm.com. And if you go there, I have a a free downloadable worksheet. It's a five-minute IP audit for your business. So you can see where things might be hiding that you might need to protect or that you could maybe make some money from, which we all want to do. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. This was fun.
Looking to elevate your brand without the headache? Join the co-op, our creative template shop membership. With thousands of easy to customize templates, all crafted to seamlessly fit your business aesthetics. We make nurturing leads and driving sales effortless. We're talking serious impact and seriously simple creation. Become a member now at creativeshopcoop.com and transform your business today. That's creativeshopcoop.com. Hey, a few quick favors before you leave. I'd love if you'd share today's episode, send it to a friend who needs to hear it and post on social. You can show us where you're listening from, your favorite takeaway, or why someone else should listen. Be sure to tag me at Abigail Says and at Boss Project so we can share it. Okay, second favor, to get podcast updates and all the behind the scenes news from Boss Project, I'd love if you'd join my VIP list. Just head to bossproject.com slash sign up to make sure I have all your contact details. Really love this show? It would mean so much to me if you'd leave a rating and review. It not only helps more listeners find the show, but allows us to bring on quality sponsors so we can keep bringing you this valuable content for free. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.